Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott, and tonight I have another compilation of true horror stories. For those of you new to the show, every once in a while I throw in a little curveball and I read submissions from all of you about the actual paranormal slash alien slash just highly strange experiences that so many of you have had. If you ever want to have one of your stories on the show, feel free to send it in anytime to scareyoutosleep at gmail.com. Just make sure to let me know that if it, if it is a true story so I can put it in the right category. Um, this time around, I had a few that were questionable and I had to reach out and ask a few people if they were true or not. Um, I haven't heard back from a few, but the ones I haven't heard back from, I'm pretty confident they were not true and either I was mistaken or they were trying to fool me because they made it seem like it was a true story. I get a few of those and that's another thing. Here's my little spiel before the show. I am going off the understanding that these submitters fully believe that these experiences happen to them and I am not the person. I am not someone who is going to tell them that they are wrong. So I know if you're listening, I have a lot of skeptics who listen to the show. The world has, that's the only way the world goes around. If we have a healthy balance of skepticism and belief. So I understand that some of you may be skeptical, but just know I am just going off the understanding that these did happen to these individuals. I am not trying to mislead you. And if anything ever looks a little questionable, like it may have been either completely fiction or some things have been added that to make it a little more exciting, um, then I do try to track those down. Either I don't read them if I don't hear back, or I try to get some clarification from the authors. Um, well, submitters, authors makes it sound like it's fiction, but, uh, I just wanted to put that out there. So, um, I do try to do a little due diligence when it comes to these stories and not just read you anything because believe me, (laughs) I have gotten some doozies lately that, um, have tried to pass themselves off as true. And I don't know how to say this kindly, but they're just clearly not. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I try to do a little bit of research beforehand and contact the authors to make sure these are, you know, somewhat, at least the author themselves believes that this happened (laughs) basically. As for me, I am a skeptical believer. I do believe that there are things in this world that just cannot be explained and experiences that cannot be explained because I myself have experienced them, but I can be skeptical, which I mean, clearly, if I do track down some of these submitters to ask some clarifying questions, um, I don't like taking things just at face value, but sometimes, you know, there are a few clues to as to stories that I believe are true and stories that I think are uh, fabricated, or at least um, certain details are fabricated. I'm not going to tell you what those clues are in my mind, because for one, it it could be just something that I kind of, a a system that I've made up for myself. I mean, it is a system I've made up for myself, and I don't want to give away the secrets of what I look for 
um, because I don't want you to start trying to fool me even harder. Uh, but yeah, so if you get an email from me asking for clarification, please don't take offense. It's just that when a show like mine is full of mostly fiction with a sprinkle of true stories, honestly, a lot of times it's it's simply a matter of the author has forgotten or the submitter has forgotten to put in whether it is a true story or not. So I just want to make sure and double check before I throw it into a true story episode and for them to be like, uh, that was actually fiction. I was submitting that to be on the other episodes of the show. So yeah, please don't take offense if I actually ask you a few questions. Also, if you're submitting, a, if you have a story and you don't think it's like exciting enough and you feel the need to add on some sort of spicy cliffhanger or something that sounds a little more, a little closer to like a... A, a horror movie or a fictional horror story don't just sometimes the simpler the the simpler stories are the creepiest because they're so hard to explain they're you know they're terrifying in their simplicity basically um so yeah don't I, I've had a few of those as well where people have thought they needed to add in a few like it's it's like a true base of a story which is t- to me scary enough in itself or interesting enough in itself and then they add in like some you know horror movie-esque flares don't don't you don't need all you don't need all that um just send in your story as is um because i will probably i'm not it's not like i'm psychic or anything and i'm not a detective but i i think i've gotten pretty good at sniffing out some of those things so that said Let's jump into these stories, shall we? This first submission comes from someone who would like to remain anonymous. I have been listening to your podcast for a little over a year now, and I love not only the fictitious stories, but also the true stories. I haven't always enjoyed telling my supernatural stories from my childhood, but I would love to share them with you. What I am writing... I assure you, is 100% true, though it may seem a little choppy since my memories aren't exactly fluid. The majority of my supernatural experiences happened in the house I grew up in. It is an older style home built in the 1800s for someone very special who had a very good reason to be in hiding. Throughout the years, it is said to have been used to hide slaves on their journey north and housed the corpses from a major war. The earliest supernatural memory I have, though my mother said it was not my first encounter, was when I was around six years old. I was playing in my bedroom, a small room at the top of the stairs, with my door closed. At first I believed I had imagined the knock at my bedroom door, but when I heard it a second time, I knew it was real. I assumed at first that it was my uncle who liked to play tricks on me, so I yelled at him to go away. When I heard the knock a third time and the door handle jiggled, I stood and flung the door open, ready to tell my uncle to leave me alone. Except my uncle wasn't there. No one was. Instead, I was hit with a brick wall of cold and someone, or something, grabbed my ankles. When my shock subsided, I ran down the stairs crying to my mother that someone grabbed my ankles and sure enough, there were fingernail marks embedded in my ankles too far apart to have come from my own hands. 
In the subsequent years, I experienced many smaller incidences, to include the microwave starting or flickering on its own, dry cups moving across a dry table while I was trying to pour a drink, and the hot water, the shower knob, not the main, shutting off during a shower. I would also often feel like I was being watched when I was alone, and I always ran in the hallway because I could feel and sometimes see someone standing in the corner or on the stairs. About six years after what I will call the fingernail incident, my parents moved me into another room in the house that we called the pink room because the walls were painted this disgusting pink color. In the pink room was a piece of particle board screwed into the wall, which my father, who had lived in the house since he was three years old, had never moved. So one day, being a curious 12-year-old, I brought a screwdriver up to my bedroom and removed the board from the wall. Behind the board was a hole and what looked like a little room in the wall. At first, it looked like there was nothing but cobwebs and dust in the room until I looked a little closer and saw a small pair of shoes no bigger than toddler size and definitely no less than 100 years old, if not much older and they sat camouflaged in the far corner next to each other as if they were on feet. They were so cute, but considering my history with the house, I left them alone and replaced the board. Later that evening, I told my mother about the shoes and brought her up to my room to see them. When I removed the board from the wall, the shoes were in a different spot in the room, but still together like they were on feet. At this point, I laughed it off, I must not have remembered correctly where they were. A few days later, my father returned home from working out of town and I dragged him upstairs to see what was behind the board. When I removed the board from the wall, the shoes were directly in front of the hole and tipped up like a child on their tippy toes. That night, I refused to sleep in that room and the next day, I moved back into the small room at the top of the stairs. After that incident, it was much of the same with the little things happening, up until I moved out. What I hadn't known until shortly after I moved out is that I was not the only one having supernatural experiences in that house. My grandfather had lived there my entire life, and he had had a lot of similar experiences that he very seldomly spoke of. Flash forward about two years after I moved out of my childhood home. I was working for a company that transported people to doctor appointments. The clients were not given any information about their driver prior to their arrival, not even a name. This gentleman was waiting on the side of the road when I pulled up. He opened the passenger door and paused before stepping in. You have a poltergeist attached to you, was the first thing this man said to me, after about 30 seconds of complete silence. From a house you lived in for many, many years, you and an older gentleman are the only ones who felt the presence, the man had continued. I strangely remember those words precisely. Though he did continue to tell me things that he should have never known about the things that happened in that house and some of the history of the house, 
I very quickly asked him to stop talking because I was getting a little creeped out. Now I wish I would have let him continue, and if I could remember who he was, I may even consider going back to talk to him more. My mother still lives in that house, though I do my very best to not be there after dark, and I have not had any experiences there since. I still refuse to go into the pink room, which is now used for storage, by myself, and will not let the door close while I am in there. My children do spend the night there occasionally, and just a couple weeks ago, my children were there spending the night when the microwave began flickering, and my mother said my three-year-old son said, Grandma, your house is haunted. My mother has said she doesn't get creepy feelings from the house, but rather an overwhelming sense of safety and security there, like someone is protecting her. This next submission is from Hannah Anderson, and she also wanted to give a shout out to Oranda for introducing her to the podcast and inspiring her to write this story. So I wanted to start off by saying that the events I'm about to talk about all happened at my job, which is a doggy daycare. Some of these are stories from my coworkers, but most of them are my personal experiences with the doggy daycare ghost. The first incident I want to talk about is my first experience with the ghost. I was working a closing shift, which is 2 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. I think it was around 8 p.m. I was cleaning as I would normally do when I heard clanking of dog bowls in the back where we had cleaning supplies and a sink to do dishes. Now, normally the clanking wouldn't bother me, but I was alone. I brushed off the noise and got back to cleaning. About 30-ish minutes later, I heard a loud bang of the metal wire cages from the same area I had heard the clanking. It startled me and made me worry about going back there for the rest of the night. I was very cautious and jumpy. My next encounter with the ghost happened while I was watching the dogs in the yard. It was towards the end of operating hours, and dogs were going home, so there weren't many dogs with me. I wasn't alone in the building like the first encounter, but I was alone in the yard with the dogs. My co-workers were elsewhere, cleaning or something of the sort. I was tired, and so were the dogs, so they were all laying down and I was just leaning up against a wall. On the opposite side, there was a very loud thwack of the soundproofing paneling on the wall. The only reason I recognized the sound is that it sounded like the sound of a gymnastic mat being hit, which was very similar to the soundproofing paneling. I at first thought it was in my head, but the resting dogs around me stood alert and were on edge and barking. In this next encounter I would like to talk about, I actually wasn't alone. It was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and it was myself and my co-worker. It was the closing shift, so we were cleaning, taking dogs outside, and just getting things ready for the next day. We were in the area where we prep the dog's food and store the boarder's belongings in bins on the shelf. We were standing there talking, and we heard a shaking sound. At first, we couldn't find where it was coming from, so we thought it might be from one of the dogs. A few minutes passed, and it happened again. But we saw where it was coming from. It was the pipes connecting the water heater, 
which, one, no water was running, two, it was in a wall partially, and even if you hit it from where someone could reach it without a ladder, it doesn't shake as much as it did by itself. We were freaked out, but we continued our conservation and actually tried to instigate the ghost to see if it would do it again, but it didn't. The last couple of things I want to talk about is the handful of experiences my coworkers have told me about. There have been many times where me and my coworkers have caught the dogs barking at nothing in the same corner of the yard. One coworker of mine was working a closing shift, and she went to the bathroom, and even though they were alone, she locked the door out of habit. She heard a sound and looked over to the door, and it creaked open by itself. This next submission was sent in by K.P. Thank you, K.P. And they called it The Boy. Throughout my life, I've seen quite a few unexplainable things. My family has been very open in sharing these types of occurrences with each other, especially because a lot of spooky things have happened as we lived together. This one entity was around me my whole childhood and is the most vivid fright of my life. The first time I saw it was 1998. I was eight years old, and we were living in a small two-bedroom apartment in Oakland, California, with my seven-year-old sister, mom, stepdad, and new baby sister. I was sitting at the computer desk in my mom's room, playing pinball. The room was tiny, just enough for the bed, dresser, and computer table. The way the desk was situated was in the corner against a wall, so my back was towards the door. I got the feeling that someone had entered the room, so I turned around, and I clearly see the calves and feet of someone small crawl into the closet. Thinking it was my baby sister, I immediately got up and crawled after it. But the closet was empty. I remember feeling confused and running out of the room to look for her. My mom was playing on the floor with her in the living room, and I told my mom what I had just seen. At this point, I started to feel uneasy, and I guess my mom picked up on it, so she got up and told me she would check the closet. When she returned from the room, she didn't brush me off, but told me that if I ever see anything strange again, or anything that scares me, to tell it to go away, and to mean it. But that wasn't the only time that I saw it. No. It followed me to each home we lived in. It seemed that the older I got, the more of him I could see. He was the size of a child, pale and naked. I was scared of him, but I felt safe because he was always crawling away from me. He moved so fast the encounters never lasted more than three seconds. It wasn't like I was seeing him all the time, but it was often enough that I started getting used to seeing him and I always did as my mom instructed, and I told him to go away. I was three months away from my 18th birthday when I moved into my dorms at a college in Southern California. I was so excited to spread my wings and have my own adult life. I was eager to learn and make friends, but the fun quickly wore off for me. I didn't realize how hard it would be on me, trying to balance motivating myself to go to class, studying, partying. I was stressed and homesick. 
Not to mention my roommate was... troubled. One night, a couple of us girls, including my roommate, were sitting in the lounge area in our dorms and decided to put on a scary movie. Just so happened that the only one we had was The Exorcist. Ugh, cliche, I know. During the movie, one of the girls started telling us her ghost stories. We quickly forgot the movie was on. It was fascinating hearing their stories, but I was, well, I still am, not someone who shares much because I get anxious when the attention is on me, so I didn't tell mine. One of the girls suggested we use dowsing rods and go look for ghosts, so we grabbed two random pencils and start asking questions out to the thin air. We set the rules. If the rods cross, it meant yes, and if they moved apart, it was no. We were off in search of a ghost. Taking cues from the ghost, we were led into a long, empty hallway that connected two of the buildings and had a trash chute, elevator, and stairs. At the trash chute, we started actively speaking to the ghost of a child. I don't believe that dowsing rods work, especially not the pencil variety, but I was there for laughs and the thrill of ghost hunting. What a bonding experience, lol. Once our game was over, we all settled into our rooms for sleep. It was really late by then. Entering the room, I felt like the energy was off, and I was feeling extremely uneasy. So I left my desk light on. My roommate was laying in her bed, falling asleep, and she sat upright and looked me dead in the eyes and said, Don't look. There's a boy crouching under your bed. I froze, feeling the blood drain from my face and chills all over my body. I told her to stop, and then she just started laughing and laid back down. We had loft beds, so the image of a boy under there was immediately engraved in my mind. I didn't move. I just laid there, scared to death, until I eventually fell asleep. After that night, she kept seeing a little boy in the room, always wanting to tell me about him. I was so upset because I never once mentioned him to anyone outside my family. How could she know that was my biggest fear? I started to avoid her, going to sleep before she came in for the night, or staying out late, only returning when I knew she would be asleep. I'm not sure why I felt that avoiding her was my solution. Was she really seeing something? After a few weeks of feeling so overwhelmed, I begged my mom to fly me home because I really needed a mental break from school. It took a little convincing, but she flew me back home. I didn't tell my family about how strange my roommate was being with me and how unnerved I felt. I didn't have my own room at home and had to sleep in my sister's room on the bottom bunk. I was fine with that. I was just happy to be home. One night, I was woken up very abruptly from my sleep, which is not a normal thing for me. I felt so much dread and fear running through my veins. I turned my head to where I was looking out into the room, and there he was, crouching on the closet door. He started crawling extremely fast down the door and onto the floor, straight for me. His head, ugh, 
His head stayed in a fixed position and his pale limbs moved like a spider. I sat up so quickly that I bumped my head on one of the wood planks from the top bunk. When I woke up, I had a big knot on my forehead right on my hairline. And I was still shaky. I told my parents everything that happened and they were concerned and monitored me all day, making sure I didn't have a concussion. I don't know what would have happened if I didn't knock myself out then. I'm not even sure if he was able to get to me as I slept. My roommate never mentioned him again either. I don't know what he was or what he wanted, but that was the last time I saw him. I still feel a bit of anxiety if I see anything move out of the corner of my eye or wake up in the middle of the night. After all these years... This next submission came from Chantel Cairo. This next submission came from Chantel Cairo. I had my first child very young. As soon as I lost my virginity, I was pregnant. It's not supposed to work like that, lol. I had already graduated high school, but still was afraid to tell anyone in my family. I was only 15. I was asleep in my room, hiding my secret six months at this time, At 3.22 a.m., I was startled to wake, and a very angry-looking woman in a wheelchair with hair down to her knees was two inches from my face. I thought maybe I was dreaming, maybe I'm missing so much sleep that I'm hallucinating, anything, but this couldn't be real. I threw my blanket over my head and forced myself to go back to sleep. The next day, I told my grandmother about my dream and described the woman in the wheelchair. She asked me if she had a scar on her cheek, and she did. I told her the scar almost looked like a bird. She then showed me a picture of her great-grandmother that was paralyzed from the waist down with what looked like a burn on her face, kind of like a branding of a hummingbird. Her hair was down to her knees. I had never seen this picture before, but it was her. Of course, I was already ashamed to be a teen mom, and seeing her so angry was hurtful, yet terrifying. I saw her once more at my wedding, and she was in her wheelchair, wearing a white sleep dress that had a tinge of yellow, but she looked so happy. I had never met or heard of her, and I still don't know her name, but this was an experience that stopped me from being a skeptic. You are my great-great-grandma, and I met you by you being ashamed of me, lol. This next submission was sent in by Miguel Hilero. Hi Shelby, please find below the truest version of my experience. When I was a young boy living in the Philippines, I lived next door to a girl named Amelia. Amelia was about the same age as me. She had a slight build, long, perfectly cut, straight black hair that went down to the middle of her back and skin paler than most Filipino children I knew. I remember asking my mom about her because she looked so different to all the kids I was used to playing with. My mom explained that her fairness was due to her probably being a mestiza of mixed blood and never being allowed to play outside. This explanation made every sense to me as I realized I only saw her through the curtain of her house's left front window and never playing outside with the other kids. As my childhood rolled on, I continued to catch glimpses of Amelia, staring out at the street, while me and the other neighborhood kids played. I would try waving on occasion, but that only seemed to scare her off, 
and I wouldn't see her again that week. The other children labeled her as a multo and said that I would become haunted if I tried to interact with her. I brushed off their comments as my curiosity and sympathy would not let me ignore her existence. On my sixth birthday, I asked my mom if I could bring a piece of cake over to Amelia's house to invite her to come over to play. My mom said that she did not know her parents and was hesitant to send me over to a stranger's house. It was at this point I also realized I had never seen her parents come and go from the house. I begged and argued that Amelia wasn't a stranger, just a friend who I hadn't been able to speak with yet. Eventually, my mom conceded, and I was able to make my way to the house next door with a piece of mocha birthday cake. The house itself was an old three-story mansion of Spanish architecture. Each story had two large windows facing the street, and each window was covered with thick gray curtains that did not allow a glimpse to the inside. The garden was barren, and large iron gates prevented any entrance to the sides or the back of the house. The only sign that the house was occupied was the pale-skinned girl now standing in front of the curtains of the house's left front window. I waved to announce my presence to her, and before she could disappear, I raised the plate holding the piece of cake high into the air and pointed at it excitedly. She stopped, stared for a moment, then sheepishly pointed to the large iron gate left of the window. I approached and realized that the gate had a small hole in it from some of the bars being rusted off. I slowly climbed through, careful not to drop my peace offering, and stood up to see a small hand waving from a partially open window on the side of the house. I walked towards the window and came face to face with a mysterious girl that had been my neighbor all these years. She introduced herself, took the plate from my hands, smiled, and disappeared into the house. After that first meeting, Amelia and I became close friends. Every week I brought her a treat, a piece of cake, a candy, an ice block during the hotter days, and every week she would direct me to the small hole in the gate and receive my gift through a partially open window on the side of the house. At first she would only say hi and thank you, but as the weeks went on, she began to tell me more about herself and her life. She was an only child to an ill mother and a foreign father. She did not linger too long on this topic, looking visibly uncomfortable when mentioning her father. She was homeschooled by her mother, who was mostly bedridden, so she was able to stay with her all day. When I asked why she wasn't allowed to go outside, she said she had to take care of her mother, which I thought was understandable. This friendship went on for the entire year. On the night of my seventh birthday, I came back to Amelia's house, excited to regale her with stories of the outside world and to celebrate one year of our friendship with the same cake I had first given her. However, when I reached the metal gate, I was met with new iron bars and no hole in sight. I doubled back to the window where Amelia would stand and waited a few minutes before knocking gently on it. A moment passed and then another, and just when I was about to return home, Amelia's slight frame came into view. My heart leapt with excitement, but that moment was short-lived as I noticed tears rolling down Amelia's pale cheeks. I opened my mouth to ask what was wrong, but she put her finger up to her lips to silence me. My stomach dropped as I noticed a noose of purple bruises around her neck, 
and in the middle of the dark ring, a thick crimson slit drawn across her porcelain neck. I stifled a scream and felt my insides retch. Amelia's tears were now rolling down her neck into the wound and continuing down her chest, crimson red. She opened her mouth as if to apologize for startling me, but all that came out was a gurgled whisper. We both stood there, crying in silence, before I could react. She mouthed, thank you, I'm sorry, and goodbye, and walked through the thick gray curtains and out of view. I stood there frozen for a moment before staggering back into my house in disbelief, crawling into my bed and forcing myself to believe that this was nothing but a vivid, lucid nightmare. I woke up the following morning to the sound of police cars at the front of Amelia's house. The news report stated that Amelia's mother was found dead of natural causes, but that the father had seemingly slit Amelia's throat with a box cutter before hanging himself from the third-story balcony. The news story read, Years of abuse culminating in a murder-suicide. The house became a crime scene and was inaccessible for about a week. After the police cleared out, I returned to the house to pay my respects to my lost friend. Standing at the window where I first saw her, and with tears in my eyes, I said, Thank you, I'm sorry, and goodbye. This next story was sent in by Clarice C. And Clarice noted that this actually is a story that happened to her best friend that she is submitting for. One night when I went to sleep, after me and my family watched a scary movie, it was late and I didn't bother to brush my teeth. I think it was like, uh, I don't know, 10 when I went to bed? For almost 30 minutes, I laid there, awake. Then, when I was just falling asleep, I opened my eyes up wide. I felt a finger go up and down my spine, like when your mom strokes you when you can't sleep. I was sure that it wasn't just a hallucination because I was watching the movie. I'm going to sound a little crazy now, but I usually listen to scary stories to fall asleep. I like to listen to scare you to sleep when falling asleep, so it could not be a hallucination because of the movie. After the stroking had been going on for a while, I could feel the finger, still stroking my back, start to move in a spiral around my whole back. I could have turned around to check what it was through the mirror, but I just couldn't. I was frozen there. I could even feel the thing sitting beside me. My friends tell me it's just sleep paralysis, but I know it isn't that. I don't know how, but I'm positive about it. As fast as the arms started, it ended. I was relieved. As much as I hated the experience, the thing didn't feel bad or hateful, but more like it wanted to say goodnight to me. The next day, I found out that my grandma had died of COVID. My theory is that she, my grandma, saw that I could not sleep and came to me. I might be crazy, but that's just how it is. The end. Our next submission is from Dhruvain Sony, and I looked up pronunciation, so I hope I did okay on that. Thank you. My name is Dhruvain, and I am from Gujarat, India. So this story is 100% true, and actually happened to my mom when I was 10. So this story might not be that terrifying or spooky, 
but for us it has left us all spooked, specifically my mom. So here's the story. It was the time of summer holidays, so obviously my cousins had decided to come to my house and spend the hot summer days at my place, as it is much cooler where I live. So anyways, on the first day at night, we had a huge problem to solve. Who will sleep where? I usually sleep with my mom upstairs, and my grandparents sleep in the room downstairs. And mind you, there were seven of us, so we came to the conclusion that me and three of my cousins were going to sleep in my room, which is upstairs, my grandparents in their room, and my mom in the living room because the guest rooms were not set up, and she was tired for the day after managing three naughty children, so she volunteered to sleep in the living room on the couch. Hours go by. It's 2 a.m. in the night and my mom was sleeping soundly in the living room. Me and my cousins were fast asleep, and my grandparents go to sleep early anyways. Anyway, back to the point. So my mom was sleeping on the couch, with her hair open and hanging from the couch, when she was woken by a frantic whispering. But she didn't think much of it, thinking that it might be the children upstairs talking or playing. When she was just back asleep, she again woke up to a sound, but this time it was someone breathing not human. It was like something else loud and frantic when suddenly something grabs and pulls her hair very strongly. She wanted to turn her head and look, but couldn't. It was as if her body wouldn't allow it. Just as the breathing went away, she heard like a dog or some sort of thing blow in her ear, and suddenly the air felt cold, like freezing cold, and something barked or scowled in her ear. My mom was petrified by this, and as soon as she got control of her body, she ran to my grandparents' room and started sobbing intensively. We all woke up by the sounds of her intense sobs, asking her what happened, but she was too scared and shocked to say anything. So we put her back to sleep in my room, and we all too went back to sleep. But I knew she wasn't going to sleep tonight. So, next day, when questioned, she told us this, and we were all really scared. And after that incident, none of us have dared to sleep in the living room overnight. Anyways, another spooky encounter in the living room was actually with me. This happened to me a year after what happened to my mom. One day, I was sitting on the same couch, reading a book. I was home alone, so it was only me in the whole house. I was just sitting there, reading my book, when suddenly, the air around me became extremely cold in the middle of summer. When I saw a shadow... From the corner of my eye staring at me with bright yellow eyes but as soon as i turned to look at it i saw it turn into a giant orb of light filling the room with eerie blue glow and the orb raced out of the window and just vanished in front of my eye it just vanished taking the cold air with it as soon as my mom got home and when i told this to her i thought her reaction would be laughing out loud and telling me that i was lying but instead She got serious and instantly called my grandparents, who were out of town on a pilgrimage, who recommended to sprinkle holy water everywhere and chant Hanuman Chalisa, a Hindu prayer. So from that day, there still have been many spooky slash paranormal activities happen in that living room. In fact, I am currently typing this sitting in the living room in that same couch. So yeah, that's my story. I hope you like it, and again, this is 100% true. It all happened to me and my mom. P.S. Love you, Shelby. Keep up the great work. I appreciate your hard work. Thank you. 
and sorry for the bad grammar. Lots of love from India. Bye. And our last submission I will be reading tonight was from Amber. This is a true story that happened to my boyfriend and I. I wanted to share. My boyfriend and I were driving in Colorado. We are from Georgia, on vacation. It was late at night, and we had just gotten back from a hike. It was dark, and we lost GPS signal. We tried to find our way back to our Airbnb. We ended up taking a turn into a neighborhood. When we got to the end, there was a random road that led out of the neighborhood. We took it thinking we would find our way to the main road. It went from asphalt road to gravel driveway. I started to get a weird feeling. We kept driving. We saw lights ahead and thought it might be a store. As we approached it, we quickly realized it was an asylum tucked way back in the desert. We quickly drove by it and was looking for a spot to turn around. We then came up on furniture laying out on the ground. Baby doll heads were also lying on the ground. We kept driving and hoping to see a spot to turn around. We came up on a sign that said, turn around now. We then stopped the car. There were more doll heads, furniture, and tons of things on the ground. We looked up and saw a shadow ahead. We saw multiple shadows ahead. They were standing around what appeared to be a cement building in the middle of the desert. No lights, nothing but darkness. The only reason we could see them was from the car headlights. We threw the car in reverse as quickly as we could and got the hell out of there. I've never been so scared in my life. The feeling I had in my gut was not good. We finally made it to the main road safely, but I'll never forget that experience. I still wonder if anyone else has ever come up on that place the way I did. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much to all of those who were open and willing to share your experiences with me and the rest of the audience. Um, Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I know sometimes it's hard to open up about things like that. Some strange things, you know. That last one, um, Amber, um, I had a similar experience out in the desert. I'm from the desert um, in California. There are lots of deserts in California, but I'm from one of them. And um, there's some strange things that will happen out there. Yeah, um, I've had some weird, you just come upon some weird stuff. There's strange things out there. It's funny, um, when my husband and I first got together, he talked about how, like, there's just something strange about going out to the desert, and he really gave me a new appreciation for all the things I, like, kind of took for granted and how odd they were. It's, you know, I feel like, I feel like forests get a lot of, um, good spooky vibe stuff, and, like, a lot of people are like, oh, the spooky forests, and forests are very, very scary, I will say. But um, I feel like deserts don't get enough credit for the weird shit that happens out there and the weird energy like that pulses through them. Uh, but anyway, I am. Yeah, I let's see what. Oh, follow the show on <laughs> Twitter, Instagram. You can follow. You can join the Facebook group. Um, both all of those are at scary to sleep. Um, what else is there? Oh, there's a. Uh, discord if you would like to join that i don't know how active that is i haven't checked in in a little while i apologize to the people who are in discord um i have not been ignoring you i just am trying to step back from social media a little bit which i've talked about um so yeah um 
uh, let's see. Oh, I, will I see you before the new year? Let's see. Let me check. I'm going to check my calendar. Oh, yes. I will see you before the new year. So I'm not going to do some long end of the year spiel. Um, I already spieled enough in the beginning of the, this episode. Um, but yeah, again, thank you to all of those who have submitted. And again, you can submit um, your true stories to me. I mean, true fictional and non-fictional stories. You can submit them at any time. But you don't have to wait for me every once in a while. I will make an announcement that I'm looking for true stories. But you can submit them anytime. Um, again, just make sure you put in the subject line that is a true story, if it is. Otherwise, I will probably just throw it into the fictional category. Because sometimes I don't get a chance to actually read the emails right away. So I put them into my categories. And um, so, yeah, don't end up in the fictional pile. <laughs> uh, yeah, because like some of these I got back in june and july so you know the true story episodes don't come out very often but when they do they do so don't worry if yours has been sitting there for a little while i'm sure a few of these people were surprised to get an email from me in december after they <laughs> emailed me in june so um yeah like i said and i've mentioned a million times there's just the show's grown the show has grown and that is not a problem it's such a blessing but the show has definitely grown to the point where my email my inbox is a war zone. <laughs> it's just, it's a lot. Um, so yeah. And on that note, I am going to go. Um, what did I bake? Oh, I baked a chocolate cinnamon roll, one of my favorites. And I posted the recipe again in scare you to eat. I know I've posted it in the main group before, but I actually posted it in the subgroup scare you to eat. Um, some of you made it. It was so fun. It's seriously, it's a recipe I've never seen anyone but my family make. I don't know if it originated with my family or they got it from, you know, some joy of cooking back in the fifties or something. I really don't know. Um, but it's just a favorite of my family's that we've made for years and years and years and years, way before I was born. And to see others, and like I said, I've just never seen it anywhere else. And to see other people making it brings a lot of joy to my heart. And I think it's meant a lot to my family. Um, I've mentioned it to them and showed them, you know, all of your kind um, comments and your pictures of your own chocolate cinnamon rolls. Um, so yeah, if you are interested, the recipe is available on Scary to Eat. Um, yeah. And oh, and if you aren't on social media for some reason, which is fine. Uh, lucky you. <laughs> Feel free to email me and ask for it. I can send it over to you as well. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to go. I hope you all have an incredible week. And if you see any ghosts this weekend, let me know about it. <laughs> all right, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams.
Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. Every town has its dark history. Hometown Ghost Stories is a paranormal podcast that goes town to town all across the globe, exploring the world's most haunted places, tapping into the dusty archives and the darkest corners to bring you the most terrifying stories of real people and their harrowing experiences. Hometown Ghost Stories dives into the history of haunted locations and investigates why and how these places earned their terrifying reputation. Rob, Dave, and Jesse go live every Tuesday night after an uninterrupted documentary-style breakdown on the case, followed by an open discussion with live viewers. Subscribe today to listen to Hometown Ghost Stories on your preferred podcast platform, or watch the video version on YouTube and now Spotify. Head on over to the Bloody FM Podcast Network and check out Hometown Ghost Stories, if you're brave enough. (laughs) 